Welcome to the Power of the Cross with special guest minister, Lauren Larson. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. This passage has been in my heart and my mind. I've ministered it several times in the last few weeks. But those of you that are in ministry know that oftentimes it takes quite a number of times to work through preaching and teaching a passage before you really kind of get a grasp of what its intent is and how it can help the people. But let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. The Bible said, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In today's world, the story I'm about to relate to you happens time and time again. Johnny goes off to college. He's been raised in a Christian home. He's been raised in a Christian family. He's attended church all of his life. Uh, He got saved at an early age and maybe even filled it with the baptism with the Holy Spirit as a teenager. But as he travels through the colleges in today's world, the messages that he receives and the confusion that fills his heart and mind begins to steal from him his faith. And Pastor, we talked about this this afternoon. You had no idea what I was going to say tonight. But the truth of it is, is that our colleges and our schools of higher learning are planting a liberal agenda in the hearts and minds of our youth, so much so that the faith that we want once had his children are being destroyed. And so Johnny goes to school and by Christmas time he comes back and and announces that he doesn't believe in Christ anymore, that uh, he doesn't believe in all the things that he used to believe in. In fact, he's adopted instead of an intense Christianity, a more of a uh, just a wait and see type of a thing, a, a timid Christianity that doesn't demand much, ask much. It's okay to do a little bit of this and a a lot of that, and and we just lose sight of our faith. And what has happened is that Johnny has been the victim of a spiritual war that he lost. And what I want to talk to you tonight, because our text is really about this, the fact that we have hearts and minds of loved ones that have been ill-affected by the powers of darkness and by the world in which we live. Religion has twisted them. Uh, some of them are lost. They never were saved. But many of them, like Johnny, and it was a fictional story, but it's true in so many homes, many of them are coming back from uh, their foundations and leaving their foundations, and their minds are entwined with things and thoughts that aren't from God, and it has destroyed their faith. Can I get a witness in the house tonight? We've all seen men and women that we've loved grow up in church or be in church for a period of a time and then leave the church. And when you talk to them, their minds are nowhere near where they need to be because they have fallen prey to true spiritual warfare. And that is Satan attacking the heart and the mind and the faith of the believer. But Paul here gives those of us that are entwined in this war 
warfare a challenge and a unique insight as to how to win back the hearts and minds of men. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Because if you haven't ever been in that predicament, if you have never been where you've seen the faith of someone that you've loved destroyed, you will see it in this last hour, in this last day of the church. And you're going to need to know how to address winning the hearts and the minds of men. That's the name of the message. That's what I want to preach. Winning the hearts and minds of men. Father, let's, uh, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you would help us through the scriptural example, through what Paul has written to understand what it is we should face and how we should face it. And Father, we ask that you would plant into our hearts and minds the truth that you can, in fact, win these back that are either lost or those that are wayward from the truth. You can, Father. We don't have to give up on the war that's occurring, but we must know how to fight. So equip us to fight the war in in tonight's message. Equip us, Father, with the hope that we can see lives turned around. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. The background of 2 Corinthians, and I sure don't mean to bore you with it, but in order to understand what Paul is saying, you have to understand what he's been through. Remember that Paul planted the church at Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey, and he established it. He was there 18 months. He was there uh, to the place that he established the church in a, and it was a church, honestly, in Corinth that should, was impossible to plant. But he went into a society that was so evil, so immoral, that to Corinthianize meant to be an immoral person. I mean, the name of the city was known for immorality. That's a hard place to preach. That's a hard place to establish a church. But God helped him. And after 18 months, he was ready to move on to another field of endeavor. But he had planted the church. He had successfully had a spirit-filled church as a witness to the gospel in Corinth. And he had, prior, prior to coming to Corinth, he said, when I get to Corinth, I'm getting back to basics. I'm just going to preach Christ and him crucified because if that is what it, that's what it takes to build somebody up in the gospel it's not just a message that uh, initiates the the response of individuals into the gospel it is the message that substantiates their faith and creates the ability to be conformed into the image of Christ uh, and so Paul said I'm going to preach that and he did but he leaves after a year and a half he goes to Ephesus later and plants the church there. We talked about that this morning. And he was there for three years, but almost immediately by the time he gets to Ephesus, he's been gone six months or so, trouble raises its head in Ephesus or in Corinth. And it was other men coming in with a gospel that wasn't the gospel impacting the minds of Paul's converts, trying to get them to believe and see in something that Paul wasn't teaching and preaching. Some believe they were the Judaizers that came in and attached law to the gospel. Others just thought that, uh, think that these men were flamboyant, they were boisterous, and they pointed the people to a licentious lifestyle, telling them that grace was not the way in which we overcame sin, 
sin, but grace meant that you could live any way you wanted, even so much so that one of the leaders in Corinth actually took on his mother as his partner, as his wife. And, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, the church was just, well, glory to God, grace covers it all. Well, you can see that that's not the intention of the scriptures or the intention of Christ's death or the intention of Christianity to let us live any way we want to and let us live in sin. It's to free us from sin. So Paul has got a problem. And so what he does is he, he hears of the problem through a series of events. And the house of Chloe came and visited him in Ephesus. And he, and he writes a letter and he sends Timothy, faithful Timothy, off to Corinth. And you know what they did? They rejected his letter and they rejected Timothy. And Paul says, well, I'll fix this. So he hops on a ship from Ephesus. It's about eight days travel and winds up in Corinth. And he figures, well, I'll come back. And since I'm the father of this church, I'll step into uh, this group of believers and I'll fix it by confrontation. Well, he went and they rejected him. It's referred to as a painful visit in the scriptures. They rejected him. Basically, get out of here. We don't want you. The man that planted the church. So he goes back to Ephesus, and about that time, there is a riot in Ephesus that um, makes him leave the city because his life is threatened. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he tells us at the front part of the letter that he, he was sure he was going to die and that he himself had despaired of life. He travels up to Troas, which was north of Ephesus, on the coastline, and he has an opportunity to minister there, but he's so concerned about Corinth that he can't even minister. How many knows what that's like? You're so upset about something, you can't even, you can't even minister. So he writes a scathing, denunciating letter and sends it to Corinth, and he's waiting for the response to come back to him from Titus. Uh, Titus was the one who delivered the letter, and he's waiting, waiting, waiting. He can't wait any longer, so he crosses the sea from Troas, goes into Macedonia, probably Philippi. Am I boring you? Are you Okay. I just want to tell you where we're at. And he's waiting for the answer to his harsh letter, his denunciating letter. And Titus comes and says, good news, Paul. That last letter did it. Let me tell you something. Don't ever trade the tools that God has given us to win hearts and minds. Paul didn't. He could have. He could have said, well, I guess I better come up with something more than letter writing and preaching the gospel. But he didn't. And the majority of the church membership in Corinth, because of his teaching and preaching, saw the truth. They realized it. They read the letter. They realized they were wrong. The majority of them repented. But yet still in the church was a small segment of believers who didn't repent. And some of those teachers that led them astray were still in the church as well. The first nine chapters of 2 Corinthians was written to the people that had repented. But 2 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, and 13 focus on the people that still have to be changed. Are you in the story now? They are still thinking wrong led by wrong teachings, wrong, wrong ministry, a wrong message. How do we win those people back? 
I know that you're not in Corinth, but the circumstances today are still the same. People are being led astray. They're led into wrong doctrine. They're led into worldly thinking. They're, and there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. I've got loved ones, the people that I know that have been in the gospel, that have separated from the gospel. They've gotten into a variety of different things, some religion, some law-keeping, some actually going back to a, some keeping of the law of Moses. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? And it's a war, my friend. Paul would write to the dissenters in Corinth, and he would say, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Because that's one of the things they said about Paul uh, in the church at Corinth when they were dis- turning the people against him. Oh, Paul walks in the flesh. He, he, he's just walking in the flesh. And Paul wrote back and says, hey, buddy, we walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. And that's one of the things we have to recognize. First of all, we're in a war. I know that Christianity is supposed to be, well, I'm just going to get saved and be blessed, but Christianity is going to put you on the front fields of the war. You're going to be on the front lines of warfare. And that warfare is going to be for the hearts and minds of men. So as we look at Paul, uh, we learn this, first of all, that we must recognize and reject the limitations and inclinations to win people back using fleshly method. Now, what do I mean by that? A fleshly method. Something that the Spirit of God isn't in. Something that the Spirit of God doesn't use. And we've all tried it, operating in the flesh, trying to win someone back or to talk someone into being a Christian, and it's an impossibility. Paul said, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. Flesh is just that, that part of us that yet hasn't been changed by the powers of God into the image of Christ. And we all have a whole bunch of flesh. We walk in flesh, and, and oh boy, it's so tough to... Flesh, I wish you'd all been here this morning, flesh is that portion of me that has been trained the way I think, the way I respond, by the world and by the powers of darkness. And, and I have a tendency to trust in my own education, my talents, my abilities. All that is fleshly. You know, sometimes as ministers, we think, well, just because I know the truth, I can talk people into the truth. No, you can't. If you can talk anybody into the truth, then someone can come along and talk them out of the truth. See, we can't depend upon our ability to speak. We can't intend or account on those things that we have, intelligence, education, talent, nothing. We are facing an enemy that is too great for flesh. It won't respond to flesh. The Bible says that we don't war, uh, uh, well, that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. You've got to understand that the people that we love or the people that we're concerned about, just like Paul and Corinth, have been impacted by powers of darkness and they have mixed with fleshly indications or fleshly, um, uh, how shall I say it, fleshly. Uh, bents in that person that has agreed. Oh, well, let's, if we want to get rid of sin, let's fast for 21 days. 
There's a fleshly part of us that wants to say, yeah, I can defeat sin. No, you can't either. You can't defeat sin. There's not an action in the world that you can perform that will defeat sin. But it sounds really good, and it appeals to our pride in our flesh for some preacher to stand up and say, if you'll just go without hamburger for 21 days, you'll be free from the lust problem that you have and the gambling problem that you have and the alcohol problem that you have. No, you'll be thinner, but you won't be any freer from sin. And especially after the holidays, I suppose it would be good to be thinner. But that, that, that's not going to override the power of sin. That's, a, that's an example of a fleshly effort trying to impact something that is too strong. Uh, styles and methods of preaching won't fix the problem. It, it, the, pro, the only preaching that fixes the problem is the truth. Preaching the truth, and we'll get to it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's one of the answers. That's one of our fighting tools. But if we're just fighting and we're trying to use self-help problem, programs, we're trying to work through psychology, we're trying to work through education, those people that have been impacted negatively by the combination of fleshly inclinations and demonic teaching are going to stay in their bondage and will never win the hearts of those men and the hearts of those and the souls of those men because you can't break through that with fleshly effort there's a wall we're going to talk about it as we go forward and today I, I fear that most of the victories we're trying to win in the church are through carnal methods fleshly methods 40 days of this and 10 days of that and 15 steps to this. It won't set people free. If it could, God wouldn't really have to have ever sent his son. All he had to do was send us instructions as to what to do. Thank you for listening to The Power of the Cross. We pray this message is a blessing to you. You can access our sermons at GrenadaChurch.com. We also ask you for your financial support in helping us reach the world with the gospel. You can donate to our ministry by secure means at GrenadaChurch.com and click Donate. Now, back to the message. The only power that was greater than sin is God's grace, and it was best exhibited by Christ Jesus coming to this earth and giving his life on Calvary to not only forgive us from the penalty of our sin, but to free us from the power of sin. The only thing, the only thing that will ever overwhelm Satan's strongholds is that truth of Christ's victory. And we have to be secure in that, and we have to minister in that. Types of the flesh, works of the flesh, maybe I'm not, I feel like I'm not making myself very clear, but let's take a look at a biblical example of fleshly effort, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham has a promise. He has a promise that his seed is going to be the seed that either is the Savior of the world or will produce the Savior of the world, and so he believes God for that, but 
but after 15 years of trying, and he's looking at his wife and going, honey, you ain't getting no younger, and I'm no spring chicken myself, things start, he starts to doubt, and he wonders, well, what in the world can we do? Uh, in, in Genesis 15, he says, uh, Lord, I have this servant over here. Let him be the heir. And God said, huh, no, that's not the one. The one that you're going to, there's going to be your heir is going to come from your loins. So Abram says, well, what are we going to do? Well, they're not having any success in bringing forth children, and they're getting a little bit older. And Sarah says, well, here's what we're going to do. And it was legal in those days. It was common those days. You take the handmaiden that I have, and I give her to you because I haven't had children. And when she has a baby, it's mine. Now, legally, that was the way things were done in the East in those days. So it was a logical step, but it wasn't what God had designed. God was going to actually take Abraham past the point of procreation and his ability there, and Sarah passed the point of, of, of menopause. Listen, when menopause is over, so is babies. Ain't rocket science, it's biology. Come on, somebody. And when you're, when you're 80 years old, it ain't happening. It just ain't happening. But here's the point. God is so miraculous. He wants to take us beyond what we can do and show us what he can do. So he had to make the birthing of Isaac an impossibility. A man that was too old and a woman that had already gone through menopause is going to produce the Savior, or the line by which the Savior would come. That can't happen, but God. That can't happen, but God. You got anything in your life tonight that looks impossible, that looks already too late, too far beyond the point of no return? But God, he can do it. And God was trying to teach Abraham and Sarah that this plan of his was going to be a supernatural plan that would require faith in him far beyond the abilities of what men could do. But they came up with the plan, and sure enough, old Abe had it in him. Because Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. But both the plan and the product of the plan were wrong. It was a fleshly effort to accomplish what only God could accomplish. And that's what we must not attempt when we're trying to win back or win the souls of men. It may seem logical that way. It may seem right that way. It may even be legal that way. But God's ways is not, are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But what is true is that the word that he has spoken, it'll bring forth fruit if we'll wait on it, if we'll depend on it. So Abraham and Sarah figure they'll help God out. You know the story. Ishmael is born. But God said, cast out the bondwoman and her son, both the false way and the product of the false way have to be cast out. That's what I'm trying to say to you as far as fleshly effort. If you want to see that loved one or that person that you care about brought to the gospel, the effort to win them or win them back can't be a Hagar situation. It can't be Abraham and Sarah coming up with a way to win them back. You're going to have to use the weaponry that God has. You can't use carnal weapons and win the day. You can win the day, but you can't 
through the wrong weapons. Are, are you following me? Okay, so we, first of all, we have to recognize and rely, uh, we have to recognize and fail to rely on anything that's fleshly. We've got to recognize that if we hope to turn the minds and hearts of men toward the true gospel, all hope of the flesh has to die. You have to come to the end of yourself. And sometimes that's a painful experience. And we find out just how much we've been manipulating situations instead of letting God work. I'm preaching better than you're amening. Because manipulation is what we do when we uh, use our flesh to fix that. But all hope of the flesh has to die. Secondly, we have to recognize and rely upon weapons that are effective exclusively through God. Look at verse 4. Paul said, we walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. And secondly, we have to recognize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. So the weapons that we yield in this war to win the hearts and minds of men have to be effective as they move, not through me, but through God. I've got I've to utilize something that moves through God. God has to be involved in this or it's not going to happen. God has to be involved in this or it's not going to get fixed. God has got to be involved in this or that person isn't going to turn around. God has got to be involved in this or there's no way to win their minds and hearts back to the gospel. God has to be involved in this. So what exactly, Brother Larson, do I need? What is the weaponry that I've got to have? Well, I'm going to give you some things, first of all, that will stabilize you as a, as a soldier in the, in the gospel. And it may seem like, well, we know all that. But I'm telling you that if you get in this battle, there's four things that I'm going to give you that you've got to have that are intrinsic. They solidify you. They make you a, a soldier, a warring person. First of all, you've got to have faith in Christ and what he did for you. Because Christ and what he did for you is the core of the gospel. It is what brings you the grace to stand every day in fact of and in light of and in defense of the gospel. It's what causes you yourself to be what you are. You can't fight this battle and forget about your own spiritual condition. Sometimes these battles keep us up at night. They keep us up and we get so worried that we stop believing God for our own welfare and for our own process. So you've got to have faith in Christ and the cross to bring you grace to be a soldier that's able to go to war. Are, are you following that? You've got to have faith in Christ, and you've got to be exhibiting that yourself to have the stamina to be a warrior in this battle against false teaching and false preaching. Number two, you've got to have biblical hope. Biblical hope is this. It's not, oh, gee, I hope so. G biblical hope says, I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I know that I know that I know that God is going to have the victory over this. You've got to get it down in your mind that little Johnny is not going to be an atheist. He is not going to be turned from the faith. You've got to believe that if you do the right thing and do as God instructs and do everything that you can do, that that person that you're believing God for is not going to remain lost, is not going to remain wayward. God, you can. God,
God, you can. I have a hope in my heart that God can. I know that he will. I believe that he will. And you've, honestly, you've got to seek God for that hope. Thirdly, there has to be a God kind of love. What's that? What, what we do when we get frustrated is take out our frustrations on the very people we're trying to win. Oh, yeah, they'll want to be with you when you blow your cool, when you look like a fool and say all the wrong things just because you're frustrated because they're in the wrong, then you act like an idiot. Oh, yeah, they want to be a part of what you're a part of. God is going to have to place within you not just faith through grace and love, which is a fruit of the Spirit. I'm sorry, hope, which is a part of that working of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, love. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to have to see that you love them. You can't run out of patience. You can't run out of agape love. One of the things that is truth when you understand the message of the cross, and you need to get this thought, that the power of sin diminishing is just one side of the equation. The works of the flesh diminishing is just one side of what should be happening. The other side of it is that the fruit of the Spirit should be increasing. So if our faith is in Christ and the cross, it's not just freedom from sin, but there's an ongoing fruit of the Spirit. And you're going to have to have love that you don't naturally feel because when someone is an antagonist, when they are against you, when they're fighting you with everything that they do and you get frustrated and you get worried and you're, you're already upset and boy, you just want to take them proverbial by the throat and you got to get back to where you're supposed to be. That's how we feel. Can I get a witness in the house? But you can't afford to display your frustration because that will only solidify them in their wrong direction. So your faith being in Christ has to diminish the works of the flesh in your life, but also increase the fruit of the Spirit. The cross, if it's not doing both things, we're not quite understanding it. So faith, hope, and love. Does that sound familiar? Are the very foundation that will hold you. And I'll give you another tool here while you're fighting this battle. Uh, We talked about it tonight, but praise. I, I have gotten to the place where I get so frustrated sometime with people that are going the wrong way. As a pastor and as a leader, you'll understand this. Uh, but as people, you should understand it too. And it just seems that it's not working. Everything you're doing isn't working. And one of the tools that God has given you to solidify yourself, I'm just trying to give you tools to solidify yourself to be a war, to be a warrior and be at war is praise. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Cast all your fears aside. Run to his face, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He's made a way for you through his mercy and grace. When I get discouraged, I got to get alone and tell him, put on the garment of praise 
for the spirit of heaviness. Cast all your fears aside, run to his face, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He'll make a way for you by his mercy and grace. I don't know what song you have in your arsenal. That's one that I use when the spirit of heaviness begins to hit. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. Pray in the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. Put on the garment of praise. When that old spirit of heaviness comes, lift up your voice to God. Hey, you can pray in the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. When you get tired, when you get weary, when you're almost at the end, when this battle is too much for you, find you a corner and say, Jesus, I just want to thank you. Jesus, I just want to praise you. And as you begin to praise the Lord, faith, hope, love, and the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit will become something in you that helps you say, I am not giving up. Man, five minutes ago I was ready to quit. But just now as I began to praise and worship the Lord, faith, hope, and love sprang fresh and anew in my heart, and I'm ready to go to battle one more time. I'm not ready to give little Johnny up. I'm not ready to give you name the name up. I'm not ready to quit. I'm going to see him come into the kingdom. I'm going to move in what God has given us to move in. And so faith, hope, love, and praise are, are simply tools to stabilize the saint of God who's in the middle of the warfare. Stabilize yourself. Proper faith. Have hope. It's going to happen. Have love that comes as a result of proper faith. And when you get down, my friend, find you a corner and begin to praise him. And you're going to find in your spirit, in your heart, and in your mind the equipping of the power of the spirit to help you in the battle. Now, those aren't really weapons, but those are spiritual strengtheners that you need to add. Faith, hope, love, praise. A long time ago, a Roman jailer asked the important question to the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer was immediate and to the point. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. We have to realize that our sin separates us from God. And the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what did God do about this? He made it simple. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you'll just take a moment and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be be saved. Accept Him as your Savior, resolving your mind to make Him Lord of your life and follow Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as long as you live. 
If you've made a decision for Christ today, we would love to hear from you and send you a free Bible. Send us a message to info at GrenadaChurch.com. Thank you once again for listening to The Power of the Cross. If you have prayer requests, questions, or comments, email us at radio at GrenadaChurch.com or send them to the Lighthouse at P.O. Box 2441, Grenada, Mississippi, 38902. That's P.O. Box 2441, Grenada, Mississippi, 38902. God bless you and have a wonderful week.